Our scripture reading will come from 1 Peter 3, verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter 3, verses 10 and 11. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. The subject of happiness is one, I believe, of universal appeal. It's that feeling that comes when all is well with you. I believe that you'll find that to be a matter of a universal desire. Even the Declaration of Independence grants to each citizen of this great country the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And even if such were not granted to us in that kind of declaration, I believe most folks would pursue it anyway because it's a natural human inclination to want to be happy. By the way, quick commercial, that's one of the reasons why when we have Family and Friends Day the last Sunday of April, uh, I was pressured, no, I was asked uh, what my theme, my subject would be for that day. And um, my almost immediate reply within 24 hours is happiness is a choice. Now, don't worry, you're not going to hear this sermon again on that Sunday. But I began thinking, what is it that everybody in this community and everybody in the world who is at least mentally healthy, what is it they want? They want to be happy. And so we're going to be talking about how to find happiness in our lives. And, and this morning, I want us to look at that from a slightly different perspective. Because the reality is we live in a world where there's a lot of people who aren't happy. They, they want to be happy. They will tell you immediately, yes, happiness is something that I would desperately like to have in my life, but uh, they're distraught and they're disillusioned by life. They don't know how to be able to find that quality in their lives. You may not know this, but last year in our nation, more people killed themselves than killed each other. And when you think about the homicide rate, you know that's saying something. It's been estimated that half of the people who occupy beds in our hospitals are people who have no functional malady. That is, there's something that's going on other than just with the body. More people are seeking counseling services, both professional and non-professional, than ever before, trying to cope with the difficulties of life. So suffice it to say, a great legion of people would like to be happy. They would like to, in the words of our text, as Peter expressed it, really love life and see good days. Don't you like that phrase? If a man would love life and see good days, is what Peter says. And I believe that anybody, again, in the right mind that looks at that passage would go, I'm in. I, I want to know how to do that. I want to be able to apply the steps that Peter has there in being able to have that quality of happiness in my life. So I, I'm just here to tell you this morning something that I think probably we all knew coming in. And that is that the Bible is God's owner's manual. And it tells us how to be happy. It tells us how to live a life that is really the fulfillment of what Jesus promised in John 10, verse 10, when he said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. If you're interested in the abundant life, then you've got to look at God's roadmap. You've got to follow it carefully every day. But there are rules that we can condense on the subject of happiness, and we want to talk about 11 of those briefly in turn this morning. Let's begin with the most obvious. The Bible says we need to live a simple life. If you boil down that whole Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes to one little thematic statement, here's what it would be. Keep it simple. Because you know as Solomon is walking through that book, or whoever it was that wrote it, 
Uh, in chapter 2, he's dealing with the meaninglessness of pleasures and knowledge and toil. And then down in chapter 5, he's talking about the meaninglessness of riches. I, I think, by the way, there's a lot of us who live here in America, as Tommy talked about, where we are greatly blessed materially, who really need to read Ecclesiastes 5 over and over again. You can have all the material things in this world and still not have happiness. Solomon didn't have it. And yet he was the richest man of his day. There are people today who have uh, immense amounts of wealth, but if they were honest with you, they would tell you that they haven't had a happy day in their lives. We think that possessions and happiness are always correspondent. That isn't necessarily the case. In fact, sometimes it is just the opposite of that. And, and so down in chapter 12, verse 13, the writer of this great book comes to its conclusion. And he literally says, now let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here it is. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. That's what the entirety of man's existence is all about, is what the writer wants us to know. Now sometimes that's the problem. That's what gets in the way of our happiness. And that is our lives can become altogether too complicated when the only things that really matter are seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 33. Now let me tell you that, church. If you're doing that, if you're truly seeking first the kingdom of God and the Lord's righteousness in your life, Jesus' promise to us is you're not going to have to worry about anything else. All those things that we worry about, having a roof over our head, clothes on our back, and something to eat, Jesus said you don't have to worry about those if you've got your priorities right. You're going to have those things taken care of. God is going to see that those are a part of your life. I think most of us can relate to the lady from North Carolina who wrote the following paragraph to the Reader's Digest some years ago. She says, some people were born in the wrong century. I'm one. My shelves are filled with Victorian novels. I don't have a food processor. I eat fat back and I spank my children. I'm not going to tell you her name. She could be arrested these days. I think everyone, I think everyone should take Latin. I believe in duty, in work, fidelity, and in suffering. I think too much fun is not a good thing. The 21st century hoopla is not fun. I'm tired of sophisticated intellectuals, bumbling bureaucrats, number-loving technocrats, watered-down theories, statistics, how-to books, oversell, and undervalue. I want to think about God. I want to laugh from the gut. I want to cut out the deep stuff and get to the real stuff. I want the truth. I want a life and not just a lifestyle, end quote. I think she's exactly right. What one thing that we need to do in order to have happiness in our lives is to make sure that we're living a simple life, that we understand what's most important in life, and then we pursue that with single-mindedness of purpose. Surely most of our activities that you and I are engaged in on a daily basis, our ideals and our pursuits can easily become just a thin veneer which, if stripped away, would leave the true essence of simplicity. That's the first rule of happiness. Let me ask it this way. If overnight everything that you owned except your loved ones were taken away, could you start over? Could you just, in fact, I was watching a little thing on, on the Weather Channel last night. Yeah, I'd come to that. I was watching the Weather Channel. But it was talking about some of the tornado systems that came through earlier this year and how that in a couple of communities, the entire neighborhood, the whole subdivision was just leveled down to the, to the ground. 
And there were people that were standing around, and there were tears in their eyes, understandably, because some of them had lost loved ones, but all of them had lost all the things that they had worked for their whole lives. And, and, and one lady, just with resignation in her voice, said, I guess we'll have to start over. And that got me thinking about this point. Could you do that? All those things, you think about what you own right now, the car you drive, the house you live in, all those things that you've worked hard for all of your life, if they were taken away, all you had left was just your family. Could you start over? And could you do that with some level of contentment? As Kipling asked in his poem, if, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word, about your loss. If you can and could do that, then you've got a firm grasp on the first step of true happiness. The second thing you need to do is just very practical in nature, and that's spend less than you earn. I mean, we as Americans really need to hear that lesson, don't we? This may be difficult in a day of easy credit and plastic money. In fact, it's not even plastic anymore. I don't know about you, but I've got uh, one of the apps on, on my electronic device it's called one-click buying. You know, money doesn't have to change hands. You don't have to get out your credit card. All you got to do is just touch one button, and guess what? It'll be sent to your house. But here's something that pays really big dividends. If we can understand how important it is that we manage our money and don't let our money manage us, now, that is a biblical theme. The Bible talks about how that we need to be good stewards. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, of above all, God needs to find in his people that we are good stewards. Did you know that the number one difficulty in troubled marriages in America today is money? That probably doesn't surprise anybody here. And most of the difficulty does not center. Listen to me carefully, church, on this point. It doesn't revolve around couples who don't have enough money it doesn't revolve around the lack of income. It, it revolves around their managing the outgo. And so they may make enough money to be able to live comfortably. They just don't know how to keep from spending that on frivolous things. What's the saying? If your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. And that's, that's truly characteristic of a lot of American families. I know of a couple who told their elders some years ago when I was living in another city, they were explaining why they were asking for the church to make their house payment. And the elders said, well, why did you buy a house that you couldn't afford? Oh, we can afford the house. We just can't make the payments. <laughs> and there are a lot of people who apply just that lack of common sense to what we carry in our pocketbooks and have in our bank accounts. We need to be wise in that regard. We need to be faithful and we need to be good stewards Paul said it like this in Romans 13, verse 8. He says very simply, owe no man anything. If you examine that passage, you know that Paul isn't saying that it is divinely prohibited that you buy anything on the installment plan, but that when you owe someone something, when it comes time for you to pay, then you need to do that. You do not need to be in debt and owe a person something that is overdue in that sense. But, you know, we've got to be very careful with the easy credit that's available to us. Solomon said this in Proverbs 22, verse 8, The borrower is servant to the lender. Well, amen to that. In Hebrews 13, 5, the writer there says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. And then he ends that by saying, Be content with such things as you have. Now, folks, that's the real key to happiness. It isn't just having more. It's learning to be content with what you have. 
It isn't getting everything you want. It's learning how to want everything you've got. So people who spend most of their lives digging themselves out of a financial hole are seldom happy. That comes as no surprise. And they need to apply to read and heed 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8 where Paul told Timothy, and having food and, and raiment, clothing, let us with those things be content. Rule number two, to real happiness. Number three, quickly, learn how to think constructively. Train yourself to think clearly and constructively. And to think analytically and to be able to analyze and to gather all the information, make an informed decision. Millions of people are lost today in denominationalism simply because they have never learned this skill. They never learn how to open their Bible to think constructively and to be able to say that that's what applies to me and I need to apply that. That's, that's the Lord himself describing his church. I need to be a part of that church. It's the, and I don't mean to be offensive when I say that, it's the let me go ask my pastor syndrome. And there are a lot of people, some even unfortunately in the church, that, that have a big problem with that. I, I, haven't, I haven't learned how to think constructively. Remember the commendation given to those noble Bereans over in Acts 17, 11, The Bible says they searched the scriptures to see whether or not those things that were being told them were so. And, and, and we need to have that spirit and that attitude in our hearts and lives today. So store your mind with useful thoughts. Stand as the personal guardian on the gates of your heart and think about those things that Paul said we ought to think about in Philippians 4 and verse 8. And if you know that verse, you know he gave us a list. Here are the things he said that you need to be thinking about. Not the junk, not the garbage that can so be easily fed into our minds. You need to be thinking about those things that are good and pure and lovely and virtuous. By the way, 2 Corinthians 10.5 reads... Very similar to that. Paul said, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And here's the real key statement in that verse. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now that's a lofty goal, isn't it? That's a challenge. But it's something that is within control of every one of us. Remember, if there is a command, that implies control. We can do what the Lord said. Bringing every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Jesus Christ. So those who control their thoughts and discipline themselves to think constructively are going to be happy and blessed people. Number four, quickly, cultivate a yielding disposition. We talked about this with one of the one another passages just a few Sundays ago. But incredibly enough, it's the people who always get their way who are the most miserable people on the planet. Did you hear me right? Those who get their way all the time are not the happiest people. They're the most miserable people. Because the Lord said the way of a disciple, the way up is down. If you want to be the greatest of all, you become the servant of all. That's the way you do it. To be really happy, we need to resist the, the common tendency to always want our, our, our way. Or as one old boy expressed it, there's my way or the highway. And there's a lot of people that live by that philosophy. We learn and profit the most when we pay careful attention to what other people have to think and say. So we need to, to cultivate that yielding disposition. Little wonder that James wrote in James 1 verse 19, he said, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why swift to hear, James? Because you might learn something. You might actually profit from what others have to say, what they think on a particular subject. I like the leadership philosophy I heard of one congregation of the Lord's people where they said as, as, as the elders of that congregation, everybody gets their say 
nobody gets their way. You see, they've developed a yielding disposition of that congregation that we need to have. So happy people truly are people who have and continue to develop and cultivate that yielding disposition. Number five, be grateful. I don't believe there's anything, any quality that could enhance our happiness any more than the attitude of gratitude. And I'm not suggesting that you don't already have that, but it's something that has to be maintained. It's something that we have to work on. Because we can, as Tommy already said up here this morning, it's so easy for us to live in a blessed nation and have all these material creature comforts and to assume that that's just the way it is. I don't know about you, but I look back on the past generation, my parents and my grandparents, and the lifestyle that they lived and the things that they had to do in order to put food on the table and to keep lights in the house, if there were lights, were absolutely foreign to me. I grew up with television. I grew up with indoor plumbing and with lights that you can turn on and off with the flick of a switch. But there are a lot of people in this audience who, who didn't grow up with those things. And, and, and we, tend to, we have a tendency, I think, with the more creature comforts that we have to assume that life ought to always be that way. And, and we fail to be grateful. And even when the contribution basket is passed, we fail to re allow what we give to reflect our sincere gratitude for everything that God is continuing to do in our lives. Happy people are those who learn how to be thankful for what they have rather than going around belly aching about what they don't have. I hope you're hearing me with love. A good way to cultivate happiness in your life is to begin each day with an expression of gratitude to a good God who has blessed us greatly. And let me put a book into that. A good way to end each day is to fall asleep with a prayer of gratitude on your lips for the way that God has blessed us in that day. Be glad for the privilege of work and of life. Or as that passage that I so greatly love, the psalmist said in Psalm 118, 24, he said, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Make the choice to rejoice. And it is a choice. You can either be glad or not glad, but you're the one who decides which way you're going to go with that. Be anxious for nothing is the way Paul stated it in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the peace of God that guards your hearts and lives in Christ Jesus will, will be present and extend in your life. The Bible is replete with reminders to be thankful. And that's because God knew... That the very process of thanksgiving, of developing that attitude of gratitude, would necessitate emphasizing the positive and it would in turn cultivate happiness in our lives. Number six, rule your moods or emotions. Rule your moods or your emotions. Too many of us allow our moods and our emotions to rule us rather than the other way around. I have a book in my library that has proven to be very valuable over the years, and it is, I'm happy to say, written by a dear friend of mine, J.J. Turner. Some of you may know J.J. I got to know him when we were out uh, in the Atlanta area together. I visited him and preached at his congregation in California one time a few years ago, and, and J.J. and I developed a friendship over the years, and I still love and appreciate that man. One of the books, one of the many books that he's written that I have in my library is How to Win Over Emotion. Very practical little book. 
Everybody needs to read a book like that, if not that book. You see, too often we allow the daily circumstances to control our mental attitude rather than vice versa. One ship drives east and another drives west with the selfsame winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales that tells it the way to go. I wonder which way are your sails set this morning? Are you set in, in the direction of a positive life, a happy life, trying to reflect Jesus in your life every day? You know, we know from Scripture that we can and we must control our thoughts and attitudes if we're going to be happy people. So every person wakes up every morning with two lists, reasons to be glad and reasons to be sad. You're the one who determines which of those two lists that you're going to emphasize and focus on that day. You and no one else gets to make that choice. And I wonder which list you're going to emphasize. The happy people are those who've learned how to control their moods, their emotions. Number seven, work with right motives. Have you ever noticed how people work their secular jobs? If you're employed in that kind of situation right now, I guarantee you watch people around you and you see how they work. And you see people who every day when you go into work at the office, the factory, or wherever it is that you're working, and you see people who really look like they're enjoying what they're doing, and they put their all into it, and they will give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And on the other hand, you can always see people who look like they're doing as little as possible so that they can still draw their paycheck and not get fired. And let me say, tell you something, that that translates over into our spiritual lives as well. We can serve the Lord the same way, just doing enough to get by and still go to heaven. Or we can, uh, we can do what we're doing with right motives and making sure that our heart and our attitude and our disposition is in the right place. How much more important is being properly motivated in all of our Christian service than just how we do and how we perform on our secular jobs? Remember even about our worship, what Jesus said in John 4, 24, God is a spirit. They who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So not just according to truth, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth, John 17, 17, but also with the right spirit. God wants our hearts in the right place when we assemble here to worship him. And not just a check-off list, I was here, I hope the Lord saw that I was present today. But you come here with the right motives Let's consider worship for a moment as a microcosm of our entire Christian lives. If we go to church just because God commanded us to, and that there are also the passage that says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and we feel that we must do that, and worship is a matter of obligation, our experience most likely is not going to be a pleasant one. And we'll probably leave this place of worship more hardened and spiritually calloused than when we came. But let me tell you something, dear church. If we are here and we worship God because we love him with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, we will leave this place a blessed people. How we serve each day and the motive with which we render that service is one of the key ingredients to having a happy life. Happy people are those who not only do the right things as best they can, the way the Lord has prescribed, but they do them with the right motives. Number eight, be interested in others. The self-centered B generation has spawned a lot of abjectly miserable people, somehow focusing on me and my needs and trying to make me happy. 
just doesn't get the job done. That sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Randy, if you want to be happy, what do you need to do? I need to focus on what it will take to make me happy. Nope. That will make me miserable every time. Guaranteed. No, what God has said is that if we'll focus on the needs of other people, we've talked about this recently as well, then we will learn to be contented people, and we'll learn to be people who are, lived, have, are living lives filled with joy. So it, it makes the more self-centered we become, the unhappier we are. That's a biblical principle. The Word, the Bible teaches that to be truly happy, we have to be interested in someone other than ourselves. You can look at the posters that are on the walls around us, and you can see 12 examples of one another passages. And take my word for it, or don't, if you want to do a, a great topical study, search the scriptures and find how many one another passages there really are in the New Testament, and you realize that that's just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many that say you need to be thinking about someone other than yourself. I think all of that culminated in the statement that Paul made to the Galatian church in chapter 6, verse 2, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you really want to know what the essence of living for Jesus is all about, Paul is telling us in that passage. It's bearing one another's burdens. It's helping other people with their problems and not just always focusing on my own. The poet said it this way, I sought myself, myself I could not see. I sought my God, my God eluded me. I sought my brother and found all three. Number eight, live in daytight compartments. That simply means live life one day at a time. And I'm going to give you the scripture for that in just a moment. But I'm saying that don't worry so much about the mistakes of yesterday and the fears of tomorrow that you cannot effectively function with the issues of today. And yet I know people like that, and I bet you do too. People who are so still living in the past, so remorseful, can't get over some great mistake that they made in the past, so concerned and fearful about tomorrow, they aren't doing a very good job living today. And yet Jesus said, that's the way you need to live. You need to live in daytight compartments. Here's what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 34. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. That's practical, isn't it? And amen to that. So don't worry about anything. You've got enough, Jesus says, to handle just for today. Don't try to relive yesterday. Don't try to go into the future and project yourself and take care of the problems that you might have tomorrow. Part of, our, of my daily spiritual and, and mental vitamins that I quote to myself every day as I walk goes like this. God has given me this day to use as I will. I can waste it or use it for good. What I do today is important because I'm exchanging a day of my life for it. I want it to be gain, not loss, good, not evil, success, not failure, in order that I might not regret the price that I've paid for it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Those who are really happy are those who cultivate the habit of living life one day at a time. Number 10, have a diversion or a hobby. And you might be thinking, now, where are you going to find the Bible for that? There is some. We've got examples. We've got precedents of even the Lord understanding that principle. The Bible says that he came apart onto a mountain on occasion. As one brother says, the Lord came apart to the, on the mountain to pray, and we just come apart. You know, we've got part of it. We just don't know how to do the rest of it. But the Lord recognized the need for recreating himself. So whether it's walking or golfing or carpentry, whether it's photography or stamp collecting or whatever it might be, the mind as well as the body, 
needs a change of pace as a diversion from the everyday grind to be able to recreate itself. And that's why we call it recreation or recreation. The Lord God himself decreed by his own divine example in the creation week by on the seventh day resting. The Lord himself didn't need rest, but I believe that he was giving us an example that at least one day out of the week needs to be given for, for rest, for rebuilding ourselves, recharging ourselves psychologically and physically. And yet in our day, it seems that we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. But a wholesome diversion, realistically practiced, can relax and refresh both the body and the mind. It will make us more effective in then dealing with those things that need to be taken very, very seriously. Number 11, and finally, and I've saved the best to last, keep close to God. If you've done all these other things that we've talked about this morning, and you do not have an ongoing, viable, healthy relationship with the God of heaven, then you're not going to be a happy person. I've given you my personal guarantee. True and enduring happiness depends upon a close alliance with the God of heaven. I'm convinced that there is perhaps pleasure. The Bible even says in Hebrews chapter 11 that it's possible to follow the world and to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. They are temporary at best. And so that perhaps there's some degree of pleasure by choosing the other road, the other lifestyle. But I believe the Bible teaches that there will not be any true and lasting happiness if we don't walk with God. And I didn't want to talk about all these other factors this morning and leave without having said that. Are you right with God this morning? Isn't that what it all boils down to? Are you right with God? We made several sorrowful announcements this morning about the passing of loved ones. And so I'm going to bring reality home to you for just a moment. Please forgive. What if before this day was over, you left this life? What if this was the last worship service that you would ever attend? Could you say, I'm ready to go? I'm prepared to meet my God. Or would you hang your head and say, I've been meaning to do that, or it's something that I've been getting around, needing to get around to. It's something that I know that I need to be doing, but I've not yet made that step. That's just the way we're wired, you see. Man was created to walk with God. When Paul was speaking to the Athenian audience on Mars Hill in Acts the 17th chapter, about down in verse 28, I believe it was, Paul said, in him, speaking of God, that unknown God that they had no awareness of, in him we... We live and move and have our very being. Everything that we do, the center and the circumference of our life, revolves around the God who made us. And when we alienate ourselves from his side, it's like being on the outs with a family member except a thousand times worse. And, and, and we can learn to live like that, but we'll never really be happy. You see, God through his son made it possible for us to become his children, to share his thoughts in this book for our spiritual guidance and nourishment, and to have a constant assurance of his divine protection and guidance. And there is no greater assurance that you could have in this life than that. He's promised us those things if we're his children. So the question this morning is, are you a child of God today? You can. You can become one before we leave this place. Allow your faith in God to motivate you to repent of all of your past sins and say, I'm not going to live that way anymore to confess Jesus as God's son, and to be baptized, contacting his blood to have all of your sins washed away. Perhaps you need to apply these rules we've talked about this morning to really be happy in your life. Maybe the reason that you feel a void, a hole in your life right now is because of this last rule we considered. Maybe you're not walking with God. 
on a day-to-day basis. And ironically, some of the most miserable people I know are lukewarm church members. Now, that may surprise you, but it's true. Jesus said in John 13, 17, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. I know some church members who know what God wants them to do and expects of them, but they aren't doing it, and that makes them even more miserable because now they have a conflict of conscience. You see, you don't have to live your life under the bondage and the domination of sin. God sent his son with a plan to remove us from this earthly predicament. Our Lord said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall. Are you hearing these promises, church? You shall find rest unto your souls. I wonder this morning, what would it take to make you happy? I assure you, I promise you, God has supplied every one of those things. All you got to do is just become his child while we stand, while we sing.